Welcome to Physical Kids Weekly, episode 211, The Rattening. We're excited to be here today with Lionel Hebert. Is that how I say your name? Yeah. Yes, um, who's a member of the Magician's Crew. Thank you for joining us, Lionel. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Now, as I understand it, you're a dolly grip. That's right? Yes. Cool. Um, I think a lot of our listeners probably don't know what that is or what it involves. So could you say a little bit about what that job is for the people who might not know? Yeah, absolutely. The grip department looks after mechanical rigging, uh, lighting refinement, and camera movement. My specialty as a dolly operator is the camera movement. So whatever whatever the camera moves, unless it's on the operator's shoulder, uh, like when we shoot the New York portions of Magicians, it's always a handheld camera style. Hmm. It's always on their shoulder. When we do fillery, it's always on the dollies and smooth, and we do symmetry with the, the frames and things like that. We've got different camera styles for different aspects of the show. But whenever the camera moves, that's that's me or my uh, co-pilot, uh, Tracy uh, Cragen, on the A camera. And if it's on a camera dolly or a crane or attached to some kind of mechanism or needs to be secured somewhere, we make it happen. That's cool. Um, I think, so I, I told you a little bit before that I had worked in film a long time ago, um, but one thing I find is that for a lot of the sort of behind-the-scenes crew jobs, people have kind of wild and varying conceptions and misconceptions about uh, what the jobs are. What are some of the stranger ways that people have misunderstood your job? Uh, my, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know it's, it's one of the more obscure terms in the industry, but everything falls to our department. If it's not specifically stated for somebody else, uh, everybody comes and leans on the grip department for stuff. If stunts forgotten, to bring things or need some support, we lend it to them, or special effects, or we're the toolbox for the whole set, and if anybody's got a problem, they come to us and, and we solve it. It sure keeps you on your toes, that's for sure. <laughs> so speaking of that, what are some of the biggest challenges of working on this show, on The Magicians, for you and for the camera team? Um, just some of the locations. We, we get into the woods around Fillory, and I know one particular location in the next episode, the weather was just terrible. It made uh, the ground into a mud bath. And it was just very challenging to get everything in there. We had to make a plywood highway um, well over 800 feet long to get the lighting wow. in across this farm field and into where they belong. So there's a lot of uh, effort behind the scenes, and a lot of it's not super glamorous, but it needs to be done. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I imagine for a show like this with so many, as you mentioned, like vast and varying locations that... Uh, a lot of the challenge might just be that you're doing something completely different in every shot or every every show. Yeah, every day is new. We show up and we get the challenges handed to us one at a time. There's not a lot of heads up on stuff. Just uh, We want the camera <laughs> to be down there by the river. You mean down there by the river? Yeah, 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 all the way down there. You'd like the 500-pound camera dolly and all that stuff with it. Okay, can do. Go get a coffee. This will take a little bit, and, uh, and we'll be ready for you. But we make it happen every time. Cool. Well, I, one of the things I've noticed, and I think uh, you were just saying that like uh, it's all handheld work in the sort of Brooklyn episodes and the New York episodes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, season two, we've been in Fillory, and uh, we've seen a lot more, I think, attention-grabbing camera work than we saw in season one. A lot of crane shots, um, a lot of sort of really interesting... Um, I, I'm thinking of that I don't know exactly what it's called, but the, I'm thinking of the episode um, where everyone got all paranoid because of the the sort of throne um, curse oh, yeah, or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a lot of really interesting camera work. So how has that changed the way that your job has been between these seasons? It, it makes us more camera cooperators than just moving it from position to position. Because in the throne room, we've made the floor perfectly smooth and level so that we can just drive anywhere with the crane or the camera dollies during the shot. We're not restricted to a piece of track or a length of boards or something. So as the action evolves and as they change things, we can adapt right away. If the actors miss their marks or uh, other people you know, don't get on camera or there's a beautiful light we want to see, I'm able to just go anywhere and, and make a shot happen. Between myself and the operator, we find something beautiful to shoot every time. So that's been really good for us. We have a, a small telescopic camera crane in the throne room every time we're there. And that lets us reach just about any corner of it. And in conjunction with that and the other 
tools we have, it's fun to make these shots up. I only wish the show was longer because we craft a lot of shots that would be beautiful from beginning to end. But yeah. edit for time and dialogue, and sometimes that craft just ends up on the cutting room floor, I guess. And Well, we know we did a good job, but it all starts <laughs> with Ellie, the director of photography. He's the guy who masterminds almost all of this stuff. He gets crazy lenses for different things. He always has a new tool or a toy to bring every episode and challenges us to incorporate that. And that's so much fun. Every, everybody gets to participate. <laughs> I remember um, I, was, I was a gopher on a film called The X many, many, many years ago. Um, and I think like one of the oddest tasks that I had on that um, was for the camera department. I had to go get a specific brand and type of um of like pantyhose that got stretched over the camera lens for a shot yeah <laughs> it's yeah, sort it of interesting we make it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what we make it of if it's behind the lens it can be anything macgyver would come up with to make the shot happen <laughs> to make it weird or fun in uh when they were all cursed actually in that episode the lens was not set in the camera it wasn't locked in and the Whoa. camera first assistant would lay on the floor or wherever it needed to be and pull the thing in and out from its seat in the camera to make those aberrations happen and to make things look weird. So he would just unseat the lens and wiggle it around by hand to do that all the time, as well as keep the camera in focus while he did it. He was, he was an incredible guy for doing that. We named it the Einer Baby after <laughs> Einer, Einer Sigurdsson, who was our co-worker, and uh, it lasted all year long. The Einer Baby was great. That's so cool. <laughs> I, that's the stuff that I feel like, it, you know, as a, as a viewer, you really have no insight into. So it, it, I don't know. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask if there were any shots that were especially hard to get or that you're especially proud of how they turned out um, that you were involved in. All the time. We try to nail it all the time. Uh, I only just watched the episode yesterday because I've been working all week on the other show as well, too. So it's, uh, I'm a bit forgetful of the stuff we did, but I know all the stuff in the uh, throne room is especially satisfying to do because it is up to me to get the camera in the right spot. Everybody else is free to go where they want to go, and we set up marks and things like that, but it's more of a guideline. And so to, to get all the faces to appear on camera or to get a nice background or something like that, I have to adjust all the time. And I'm just, it's, it's fun to be free to, to create them. <laughs> They're at the mercy of me. I put the camera where I think <laughs> it belongs and you don't have a choice. You can go again and do another take if you like. But That's the thing that I really like about film um, that I think if, if you haven't sort of ever been behind the scenes, you don't get every single person on a film production has at least one moment where they control exactly what happens where like they, they could change everything. So it, it's, it's just really interesting. You always feel sort of empowered to be part of the process. It's true. You might be wrong, but you shouldn't be indecisive. We're decisive <laughs> about our things and we'll, we'll fix it later, but go ahead and make a decision and, and see what happens from it. Yeah. And uh, Chris Fisher, our showrunner and who directs the last two episodes, is wonderful about empowering and including everybody on the crew and telling them how much that he appreciates their contribution and lets them know how they can help. And uh, it's a very open environment to that. Um, I'll tell you my most proudest thing about the show. When the battle with the beast was going down mm. uh, at the wellspring there, and I'd said to the uh, creators, does the Beast just get killed? Do we just say he's a bad guy and write him off? Because everybody else is getting some sort of second chance or redemption here or something. I said, I would like to see a moment where perhaps we see it, uh, it flash back to him just as Mark, uh, a poor kid who's uh, uh, a result of his circumstance. Probably didn't want to be a bad guy. He was this abused kid, as we find out, by uh, Christopher Plover. And Maybe he's remorseful. Maybe he's regretful. Maybe he doesn't want to go. And maybe he didn't mean to be so bad. Do we give him any sort of a bit of redemption on his way out or something? And uh, the creators said, well, I think if you add one more shot to the director's list for that day, he's going to explode. It's a pretty <laughs> big sequence. But um, Olivia and Jason, who, of course, pour through the books all the time, 
I spoke to them about it too because I felt so strongly. And they said they went through the books and they found that part where Olivia sort of calls them down and says, you're not a real magician. You wouldn't last an hour yeah. for each film. And she sort of belittles them or whatever and points out that you're not the big, bad beast. You're Martin. You're a bit damaged. You're a bit scared kid. And this is your way of acting out. And we're going to put you down a peg or whatever. And, and they acknowledged that. And they came and told me that they found that. And I was so proud that through all my uh, talking about it, that's, that's the nugget that came out of it. And they decided to add that line of dialogue. Oh, that's so cool. When we, she, when we talked to Olivia, she mentioned that scene. And I think it's, I mean, one, I think it's so great that everyone, uh, that all the actors who are involved with the show are so interested in the books. But it, it was so brilliant. And it's good to hear that that was a group effort. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. They're all such personable people. I haven't been on a show like this in a decade that is everyone is so personable, so approachable and humble and talented as well. There's nobody dragging their feet. The ensemble cast together and all the guests, just everybody nails it, in my opinion. And it's a treat for me to get to watch it finished now because they add the sound effects and the visual effects. I didn't know what the dragon was going to look like. It was a green screen <laughs> to me. And... Uh, to see it all put together like that. And I don't get to watch their performance, like their face intently when I'm doing my job. I get to watch their movements and, and things like that. But there's times now that I see their performance was just so powerful, you know. I, I'm, I'm sucked into it as much as any other fan. Uh, I feel it when they act. Oh, well, it's good to hear. So I have a couple other questions. I was going to ask you your favorite thing about working on The Magicians, but I think you just answered that question. So one thing I would love to know is who is the biggest goofball on set, cast or crew? <laughs> uh, it's me. It's me and <laughs> Arjun and I keep passing the title back and forth. Uh, on more than one occasion, he's come and announced to the entire crew first thing in the morning that it's my birthday, and they will, <laughs> they will all forget and they'll all sing to me and three or four times that day I get sung to and he'll remind everybody and it's been a running joke that uh, his my birthdays aren't even real. It just comes up whenever someone shouts it out. So, <laughs> How many does, cakes have you gotten on set? <laughs> uh, well, at least a cupcake at lunch. You know, somebody <laughs> scrapes up what they could and they think, oh God, we forgot it's your birthday. And at the end of the day, Jason and Stella came in and said, Arjun just left and he said, yeah, everybody, let's not forget it's Lionel's birthday and sing it to them. So they all smiled and sang too. And Jason comes over and says, Dude, I can't believe you didn't tell me it's your birthday. And I said, Dude, it's not. This is our birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So another question I had for you is whether you've worked with anyone on The Magicians before or if this is like an entirely new cast and crew for you. Uh, Casey Rule, I worked with before on Caprica. I think she's the only person that I've seen before. All of the rest of them are new to me. Oh, I forgot she was on Caprica. I watched that. It was good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I wish more of that, too, if not just for my job for watching the show. But yeah, she's a super nice person, too. Such a dichotomy, <laughs> such a sweet person, and then turns on the camera into this vicious killer black cat, you know. And it's, well, great acting, because that's not her. <laughs> that's I've heard that a lot that like the meanest characters have to be played by the nicest actors I, I expect that might be true Arjun uh, hugs or shakes the hand of every crew member every day when he arrives at work and sometimes the director rolls their eyes while he waits for this to go down it only takes a minute <laughs> but he's insistent about calling everybody by name and making sure he spreads the love around oh well good we, we like Arjun he seems pretty cool yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, okay, and, and Danny, this one's for you. I was going to ask the question we always ask, but I think Danny should ask it because it's, it's her pet. Um, <laughs> yeah, we ask everyone this, so you've probably heard it before, but what do you think your Hogwarts house is? Oh, um, I'd like to think I'm in the same room as, uh, as Jason. I'm a, I'm a physical kid. I do physical. <laughs> oh, um, we, we okay. meant Harry Potter, but that's fine. Oh, Harry Potter! I'm sorry. I'm not. Uh, I don't get a lot of time to watch TV or, or the movies. I'm, I'm, we try not to mention that one around the set too. I think it's a verboten thing, you know. Really? <laughs> well, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, it's it's um, Harry Potter for grown-ups or something like that. But um, 
I'm not sure. I'm not that well versed on those, but uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. But I would love to attend break bills, and yeah, definitely stay in the physical <laughs> Well, I think that it is time for us to start talking about the episode. And this was another big ensemble episode with, um, I think, like three or four different storylines. The big one, which I think we'll start with, is that Julia and Quentin travel to the underworld. But before we get into the specific plot lines, um, I just want to ask everybody, and we'll start with Danny. Danny, what were your overall impressions of this episode? I loved this episode, but I love any episode that has, like, Julia and Quentin together. Um, those are always my favorite episodes. Yeah, they have a, they have a lot of great chemistry, those two. Um, and I think a lot of the times, what I like about those episodes, and Danny, tell me if you agree, is that they I feel like they capture the spirit of the books really, really well. Um, for the most part, I mean, it's very different than what I remember the underworld to be, but it was still... There's moments... Um, it was it was kind of all over the place though. I liked seeing Josh. <laughs> seeing Josh. I liked a lot seeing more. Josh too. I also really liked that um, when Elliot gets kicked out of Fillory, the first person he sees is Todd. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so Lionel, what about you? What were your sort of big impressions of this episode? Because you just watched it again as a fan, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm in Canada, so I don't get to see it on Wednesday night. So all the times I've been live tweeting and trying to help out our ratings and be involved, it's excruciating to not be able to actually see what's going on at the time. I have to wait for Thursday night to watch it. It's like having, you know, the 4th of July on the 5th by yourself or something. With a, <laughs> a cupcake and one sparkler. But I did really like the episode. It was a fun one to shoot. Uh, being in the bowling alley was a, a ridiculous sort of place to be and we all wanted to steal the uh, the team bowling shirts a lot of stuff that doesn't make it on camera the wardrobe department made special teams for all the underworld bowling teams uh, oh, like cool. you know something a little off the couple the high rollers had 420 on their shirts and stuff and everybody <laughs> wanted to steal one of those shirts i think to wear and uh, I, I really enjoyed this episode uh, i can't wait to see what's to come and yeah trevor einhorn is it's just a riot. I'll include him in the top three for goofballs on set, too. Because <laughs> the humor is just razor sharp. So, wait, which one's Trevor? Because I don't have IMDb in front of me. Oh, uh, sorry, Trevor uh, is uh, Josh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would hope he's a goofball. If he wasn't a goofball, I'd be really sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, did he play any pranks during this particular episode? That. <laughs> um... No, not during this episode. Uh, next episode, I've got a great uh, picture of he and I that we took uh, after the fact, but I'm, I'm not going to let any spoilers out as <laughs> difficult as it is to hold them in. I'm so excited <laughs> for what comes in the next two episodes. I can't believe it's all going to get accomplished in two episodes. It makes my heart race to know what's coming. Uh, <laughs> teasing us. <laughs> um, okay, so for both of you, I want to ask, do you have any favorite scenes or moments from this episode? Go ahead, Danny. I definitely love just mostly, like, everything between um, Julia and Quentin, like I said. Um, between them, I definitely love the part at the end. And the um, beginning. Which, like, they both make sacrifices for each other within the same episode. And I think oh, weird. yeah. So, like, Quentin giving up the button and Julia um, taking Alice's shade. Are those the things you're thinking about? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, I also love... Um, I loved meeting that character, Sylvia. Yes. She's great. <laughs> but she also reminded me of Plum, so I'm kind of, like, a little sad. Oh, see, she didn't remind me of Plum, and it, who she reminded me of, that is how I pictured Betsy or Asmo in the very first, uh, like, before we, before we got Katie, before we saw the show. So, Lionel, I can't remember, have you, have you started the books? No, only the first line, that was enough to hook me, and uh, <laughs> I save it for some time when I can concentrate on reading them. Okay, so I'll avoid giving away too many spoilers, but um, Katie's character is very loosely based on a couple different characters in the books. 
Um, and one of them is, is basically described as like this 19-year-old ball of snark. And that is exactly, when Sylvia came on the screen, I was like, that, that is how I pictured her. <laughs> I guess the same thing. That character is hilarious. She's great. She's really, really great. Um, so I think she was one of my favorite parts about this episode just because it was great to, I thought she was really funny. I really liked her interactions with Penny. Um, I think he found somebody who like out snarks him. <laughs> which, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he got like cut down several pegs in this episode in several ways. Like he got cut down a snark peg by Sylvia and also like the fact that the librarian was not into him was I think something he never imagined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was expecting that to go really smoothly, you know, same as he did with, uh, with the professor. I think he oh, was yeah. expecting that to get further too. And then all of a sudden the brakes came on and those, <laughs> those were so much fun for Arjun to play. We, we all laughed. <laughs> it's so funny um so yeah those were those were a couple of things that i really loved i also think like all of us really loved the dragon and you said you didn't know how that was going to turn out so what was it like for you as somebody who's like on the crew to see that come to life i was very pleased i'm always stunned at how well the visual effects come out on our show those people do amazing work and it adds so much to it but it's you know it can be difficult to do when you're working there and they're trying to describe what i'm trying to see, you know, or, or imagine. And sometimes the director gets out there and starts flapping his wings around or running around to demonstrate <laughs> something. It's always lighthearted. I hope you have some pictures of that. <laughs> yes, we get some interesting pictures. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think the dragon was really cool. Danny, was that how you imagined the dragon? No. Really. <laughs> so, so tell me what you were thinking. I mean, when I imagined the dragon, it was for one, it was underwater. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I don't really think I had a grand, crazy picture in my mind. I just expected a dragon, whereas the one in the show just reminded me a lot of, like, smog, but it was, like, a lady dragon. <laughs> <laughs> lady smog. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised uh, for that because the, the ladies wield a lot of power around the magicians. Our executive producer and co-creator, Sarah Gamble, um, our script supervisor who's on top of everything, our A-camera dolly grip is a female. And at one point, we had two units running consecutively. We had three cameras at one stage, two at the other, and four of the five dolly grips were women that day. So we took a picture of it and sent it into the international office of our local union and found we hadn't said we'd set a record back, so wow. we're we're really pleased to you know um, I don't know hopefully even out the opportunities for women on the show. Our a camera operator Shannon Coley, very talented camera operator, also writer producer and director of tons of short films and things as well too. There's a lot of let's call it old fashioned girl power on the show, and and it's great. It's. And I think that's something that a lot of us have noticed is, um, I mean, in the cast, there's, there's, I wouldn't say it's like extraordinary diversity, but there's a lot more diversity than there is in a lot of shows on TV right now. And um, one of the things I'm liking about uh, what you've said and what Arjun has said about the diversity on the crew as well um, is, I think, especially in more technical professions in film, they're really are, it really can be hard to break in as a woman. There's a lot of sort of expectation or bias um, against that. And so to see a show that's really going out of its way to create those opportunities and, and make it work is, is really fantastic. And it's great to have it be this show, which we all love so much. So. I think so too. And I'm proud of the way they've tackled a lot of you know major social issues on the show as well too. There's There's been a lot of um, yeah. very visible... Uh, stuff on the shows. Yeah. Uh, the, writer, the writers are very inclusive for all that stuff. So some other things about the episode that I really liked. So I, I think that we mentioned those three plot lines and we should get into them in, in a little bit more detail. Um, one thing that we talked about a lot beforehand, a lot of us were trying to figure out what the rattening would mean. Because um, there's this old definition that says, the pra I, I looked it up after afterward, the practice of sabotaging machinery or tools as part of an industrial dispute. And certainly there is like an industrial dispute or something like that between Loria and Fillory in the show. But it turns out 
it's it's literally turning into rats. Yeah, well, there's that too. I think it's partially metaphor and partially true to the definition there as well too. Because in the next episode, we're going to find out some more about why everybody's a rat. <laughs> well, good. That's something we can look forward to. Um, either of you, any other sort of big things uh, that were sort of interesting to you about this episode? Anything that stood out? King Ton. No. <laughs> 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 I, I won't let that go. Todd will be king. Yeah, so um, Danny and I were joking um, a couple episodes ago that uh, Todd was going to end up being the high king of Fillory. <laughs> I, don't know if it'd be, I don't know if he'd be high king, but like in the books, a there's king. a part where Quentin is no longer king and someone else is king. I won't say who it is because we do have a... Spoilers. That, that might happen. Um, and I, I mean, we've just been joking that it's Gonna be Todd. <laughs> Todd I'd be open to that. That'd be an interesting twist too. Uh, it's all fair game out there. <laughs> um, Adam DeMarco seems like he must be a big goofball too. Is that true? He is too. He's, he's a very lighthearted guy, and he's actually way cooler than Todd. <laughs> he, just, he plays a great Todd since he first appeared. That scene where they talk about uh, eating the Todd at the previous year's um, uh, regalo at the uh, the festival they go to. Uh-huh. That that scene was just incredible. The way he stood there with his slowly dropping face as they described eating the other <laughs> Todd. And yeah, he's, he's a great actor. <laughs> oh, cool. I feel like I feel like the continuity in the show is like a little weird. Like no one knows where the timeline is anywhere. And I'm just like, is Todd just now like? a second year, like, living in the cottage because, like, they don't really, like, ever say anything. <laughs> He's just there all the time now. Yeah. He is. I think it's really, I mean, I think it's so fantastic because, you know, we were talking about this um, uh, during season one. You know, we only got, like, a couple little snippets of Todd in season one. and We, we only got the one episode, I think. Yeah, well, and for some reason, our particular fan group, like, really latched on to Todd and was just, like, obsessed with Todd. Um, And so we were joking all through the hiatus and all through the beginning um, of season two, like, Todd's going to come back. Todd's going to be back. We're going to get Todd. Todd's going to happen. And then we actually did. It was so exciting. (laughs) Yep. Um, so some other things that I think we should talk about about this episode. I, I want to go back to Jul- Julia and Q in the underworld. So, Danny, you mentioned that it wasn't really what you expected. Um, and I agree with you. Like, I think from the books, it feels much more like a, a much, much more like a demonic and, uh, I don't know, just kind of a little more horror-y, um, type yeah. of underworld. I mean, um, we meet, we see like the shade of Martin in the book. Yeah, that's oh. right. And, and one of the things that's related to that is that the shades are, they're, they're adults. They're, there's, the concept of shades seems very different to me in the show than it does in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly that, like, in the books, my impression was that a shade was, was basically just a, a soul. Um, yeah. Well, it makes sense for Martin's shade to be a kid because he lost his when he was a kid. Absolutely. Um. But yeah, like in in the show, it seems like there's some there's something more, right? Like you as a soul go down to the underworld, but the souls can have been separated from their shades. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm interested to see how that plays out. <laughs> Lionel, will we learn more about that in the next two episodes, or? <laughs> uh, uh, some degree. I mean, we've got one shade back, and we're going to have to deal with Olivia's shade and see what happens with her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really loved the the girl who played um Alice's Shade. Uh I wrote down her name at one point. Let me find it out. Ava Talek, is that her name? Yeah, yeah. Her her mom is an actor uh around Vancouver who's been in numerous things as well too. And she's a very, very sweet girl, uh very easy to direct. She's very accommodating to everybody and just, just happy to be there. Yeah, and one thing, my my husband um, watched this episode with me, and one of the things he was pointing out was that he, he thought the child actors did a really great job, and that's that's a hard thing when you put a lot of sort of expectation on on 
young children who really don't have that much experience and uh, as much experience as adult actors do, um, it, it can be a lot for them to shoulder the emotional weight of a scene. But they both did a really fantastic job in this episode. Yeah, it's true. They were very good kid actors. They didn't miss a beat. They were very comfortable on the set and stuff. And uh, our director makes it very comfortable for them to be there, too. You know, we we don't take things too seriously there. We know we're just making a, a TV show. Time is money, sure, but yeah, come on. They're kids, right? We're, we're respectful of everybody there. We don't like to put those sort of pressures on people. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Um but yeah, I mean, I really liked those scenes, and I really liked um, watching Quentin interact with Alice's Shade. Yeah, you know, Jason is, he's such a great actor. I tease really him because I, I'm right there on set watching him. His acting, I swear to God, starts from his toes and goes all the way up and out through his mouth. When, when his, just his face is on camera, sometimes I'm watching his feet to see where he's going to go or something. And and I'm and I see his toes, his feet are just writhing like they're like he was Italian and they were his hands. His feet are just <laughs> moving the entire time, and he's squirming, and he feels that character right to to the middle of him. And then Will yell cut, and he turns it right off, and and he's okay, and he's fine to be with, and he's not sad or upset or anything. He just goes from his personal self to character in a blink of an eye, and and he puts his whole self into it. He's a very talented young actor. I'm pleased to know him. <laughs> he certainly seems brilliant on the show. I mean, he plays a great Quentin. I have, you know, no idea what he's like in real life, but uh, he he's very convincing on the screen. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I feel bad because I'm taking his attention or I'm, I'm ribbing him or making jokes with him right up until they yell rolling and it's up to him to compose himself and do his scene. But uh, he doesn't seem to mind. I, I think that's <laughs> the sort of energy that he likes. We have this banter going on all day or silent looks back and forth and it's it's one of the things that makes it such a joy to go to work on that show. They're all they, they feel like your friends. Yeah. So um, I don't know how much experience you have with the crew outside the camera department, but um, I am curious to know more about um, sort of interesting and weird um, things that we might not expect about how the episodes come together. Was, was there anything on this in the crew? maybe that wasn't part of your department um, that you can shed light on? Um, I know the uh, costume department had their hands full with, this is one of the first times we're seeing the fairy costumes, especially more than one of them, and they are very intricate and delicate sort of things. It takes a lot of makeup to get those people ready. And um, I know they, they had their hands full and did a magnificent job. Uh, Margot's outfits are always top shelf, but I really like the ones that she had on here, but I guess I'm getting into the fashion section <laughs> story. Um, everybody works really hard, and they, and they all work together. Um, it's interesting that our, in our sound department, the boom off and the sound assistant who wires all the actors are husband and wife. Mm. And they're, they're such nice people as well, too. And, and Well, they have to be there, shoving their arms up in, in the, the actors' clothes all the time and whatnot, and they're just very comfortable with it, and, and it feels like family. Some of the actors have remarked that you know they don't feel like they could go to some of the places that they go uh, in their character or whatnot had it not been for it being such an intimate room and being so close with everybody on the crew. Because there is 25 people watching you take your clothes off, Penny, or, or do whatever it is that they're doing, and the intimate scenes with uh, Hale and King Idris. Uh, those were those were beautiful. Those were fun to shoot, and but you you feel so much that you're a part of this intimacy going on at the time. You're almost shy to be to be in the room. It, it feels very real. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it feels it it comes across as very real on the screen. I've really been enjoying the chemistry between um, between um, Elliot and King Idri. Um, Danny, remind me what's the name of the actor who who plays Idri? His name's Leonard. Leonard, yes, Leonard Roberts, That's right? right? Okay, cool. Um, they have one. He is fantastic. Um, I remember when Brittany came on that she was talking about how uh, he just sort of started looking at her while they're in the background on this one scene, and she like completely unbidden just giggled like a little girl because <laughs> he was like looking her straight in the eyes with this very charming uh, expression on his face. Oh yeah, um, he's, he's a force for sure. 
<laughs> but you can see that too in those interactions with Elliot. And one of the things I really liked about this episode was getting to see them talk, getting to see Elliot actually be vulnerable and open up and say, hey, you know, I, I married Fen and I didn't know her and I had to. And, you know, I basically saying like he, he's happy he's getting to marry a man, but he still doesn't know Idri. Um, and that to me was so fascinating because most of the time when we see Elliot's vulnerabilities, it's like dragged out of him. Whereas this was a case where he seemed actually to want to open up to somebody else. Um, yeah. And I know that's not quite the same type of intimacy, but that is a, a very big piece of intimacy and, and something that his character hasn't really done before. So it was kind of, it was nice to see that. And I imagine it must be hard to do with 50 people standing around you. For sure. I think it's great that the characters are still having these things more depth pulled from them as we go along in the seasons, too. We're not done. You can't say you know this guy already because yeah. there's still so much more backstory and whatnot. We know nothing about Margot. Yeah. Very little about Margot. I'd love to be a fly on the room on the wall when the trials happened and know what Margot <laughs> said to Elliot, but. Uh, hopefully the writers have got that in their back pocket and it's going to come out sometime because of, I'm itching to know. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. And their relationship is so... Um, I mean, Margot and Elliot's relationship is so affectionate, but you can tell there's so much complication underneath it too. I mean, they're both... Part of why they seem to be drawn to each other is that they're both so dramatic. And uh, if you get really dramatic people in a room together, there's going to be an explosion at some point, I feel. <laughs> yeah, well, there was, I guess, sending his best friend off to jail there. That's true. The, the truth serum thing was an excellent twist. I love that. That he truthied everybody. I, it really was. I'm a little concerned that they sent her off to the fairy world. I'm just like, now Elliot's no longer there. Like, what are they planning? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm excited for you to know. Elliot got kicked out. Margo's wall, and there's still all these problems and a wedding coming, and... Yeah, like there's a lot of storylines to either tie up or unravel before this season wraps up. And I'm just, yeah, I'm so curious to see why Elliot got kicked out because it's just like there's no explanation and and it's like um, Umber's clearly you know like not around. I mean, we we know that he actually is since we've seen promo pics, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ember's MIA. So why would he just randomly <laughs> kick out Elliot? Well, I don't know who's doing the kicking out. I think that's probably what we're going to learn and discover. But yeah. you'll notice that there are no more children of Earth in Fillory. There are no more, or at least none who take the throne. No, Josh is there. And in the promo, he is king. Well, I I'm assuming he's like a governor or whatever. But either way, right? Like, he's definitely not the original. He's not one of the ones who was no. crowned. No. So something is going on. I don't know. I still say my money is on um, not Tick Pitwick. What's who's the what's the name of the other one? I always forget his name. Which one? Or is it Tick? The, not the one who's the translator. <laughs> uh, for those of you on the line, Lionel's looking through a script trying to find the out. The one for played us. by Riz. Yes. Oh, uh, oh that yeah. is Tick Pitwick. Okay, Riz I just got is, the yeah, names mixed Tick up. Pickwick. Yeah, Rafe is the other one. Uh, I love Rafe. I love yeah. Rafe so much. I love them both. They're so fantastic. But um, I, I still, I don't know, I still think Tick is involved somehow. I, I don't think this is a spoiler to tell you that in the next episode there is an excellent scene with uh, Josh, Rafe, and Tick. And it, I just, I had a hard time getting through the day filming it. God, so they all seem fun. like such jokesters that, like, <laughs> seems like they a you think Rafe is just so mild or something, and then all of a sudden that comes out about their uh, uh, escort service. and, and <laughs> Oh, my God. That was like, so beautiful. It was such a stroke of genius. I also really loved I really loved Margot's line about um, him, being a, him being a pussy who um, is in love with a sloth who's currently a rat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a, like, opaque insult, but it was so great. <laughs> Summer really got Summer got a lot of the great lines here this whole season. She did. I mean, she gets to be mean more than almost anybody else, which I think like gives you a certain power and a certain comedic like that's a certain comedic stance. Yeah, 
and where her range has really been tested too. I mean, she's gone yeah. for mean and she's had, you know, lib and funny. And she's also had these very uh, deep and sensitive moments where she yeah. realizes uh, the problems that she's created. And she's, she's got a very deep heart. She's not uh, glib in the way she acts. I think it's all well thought uh, yeah. for Margot and what she does just doesn't always turn out right. Well, I think I, I was remembering all the tenderness between Margot and Fen in the episode where um, Elliot is still like comatose or whatever it is. Um, and then the very next episode, right, like she has all this tenderness. She says she's going to protect Fen. She's going to protect the baby. And then like the very next episode, she sells the baby literally down the river to the fairies. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she so, confesses to the ambassador. I'm, I'm yeah. not a nice person. I'm a manipulator. I, yeah, and, yeah. And now she's regretful and remorseful, and I think she's on her high horse to go and do something about it. Yeah, she's a really complicated character, and I've, I've been enjoying that we get to see more of that this season, and, and I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to see even more of that as, as the show progresses. I think we all are, and I don't know if there's anything in the books that leads you guys to surmise what might be in the... Uh, the last two episodes. I haven't seen any of the promo trailers yet. I didn't know that they'd been let out with Josh's running around wearing a crown. But <laughs> as you can imagine, oh, I'm sorry. I, I have no more to say about it. <laughs> well, Josh wearing, Josh wearing a crown very much happens in the book, so it's not that weird to us. It yeah. might be, they might have changed it quite a bit, though. No. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely... Things are... There's certain ways in which the show is going down the same path as the books and certain ways in which they're, like, drastically diverging. Um, I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, so I don't know what's going to happen. I can still see things happening in the show the way they do in the books, but uh, from everything I've heard about how insane it is, I kind of feel like we might be going a different direction, too. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also a lot more like parallelization of timelines or of, of plot lines that happen in the book. So, right, like some of the some of the stuff about Nif and Alice that happens in a different book than most of the stuff in Julia's plot line. Yeah. Um, so seeing them sort of converge. It, it makes it so that I, I feel like I'm guessing. I'm never going to fully know what's happening, which is cool. I yeah. like that. I like I like being in that position. Yeah, because like Julia and Alice are two characters in the book that literally never spend any time together. Like they, I don't think even meet ever. Yeah, I think that's true. Oh wait, no, no, no. they do meet very, very briefly at the at the end of the last book. Like the very end. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't. But I don't think that they like they really talk or like have any words to say to each other. No, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the entirety of their conversation is logistics about uh, Quentin going off with Julia for a second. So <laughs> yeah, it's it should be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, and all I keep hearing is that it's insane. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, another actor I want to say something nice about while we're here is Rick. Wood. Yeah. Oh yeah. Can you please come over and read me a bedtime story in that voice? <laughs> I agree. I actually, you know, we were talking, we would love to have Jason, like, redo the audiobooks. I would also really love to have Rick Worthy redo the audiobooks. He has such a great voice. Yeah, yeah. And here's a curious fact. He tells us that he remembers every line of dialogue he's ever been given. And he can wow. out any one of Dean Fogg's lines from last season. And he did. He began just doing his dialogue. <laughs> when Quentin dosed him with the truth serum and asked him how he lost his virginity. And he went into the whole dialogue and did the whole thing. And we all just were wrapped with attention. And it was a, it was a cute little side moment to just watch him play that scene by himself. And yeah, that voice just that commands attention. <laughs> it really does like butter. <laughs> he, he's like, he's like William Shatner as captain Kirk. He's like this, this, this way storied background that goes with Dean Fogg. That bit Todd mentioned about him having this intense rivalry with Bob Ross as an artist. <laughs> the fact that he used to date the, the fairy that they went and got their Rhineman Ultra from. Oh, you yeah. Know, you know, oh, I loved yeah, I, that scene. Oh, my God. It was so great. <laughs> she was hilarious. Oh, she my was God. so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. 
Um, okay, so there was only one other thing that I had that I was like, I have to mention about this episode, which is just a really tiny thing with Julia stealing the OLU coin in the underworld. <laughs> Yeah. She does that, but also them calling her Persephone was really interesting to me. Yeah, I did really like the 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 sort of overt relating of um, gods from the sort of Fillory world and the and sorry the magicians world and gods from uh, Greek history. I really liked that they were putting those together. They were French gods. They're all French gods in um, the books. But one of the things they sort of talk about is how really every culture has these same prototypes of gods. So I thought it was so interesting that they, they yeah, did that sort of connection. Yeah, and they also connection. mentioned with Gaines, Gaines talking to um, Reynard that Reynard was in love with her, and that was the root of the problem. Yeah. Um, which just makes me think, so, like, if Persephone is, you know, Our Lady Underground, then who is Reynard? yeah. <laughs> I think that's a really good question. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's get some Greek nerds. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where's Kat when you need her? Yeah. <laughs> One of our friends who was on the show, uh, who was on the podcast a little while ago, um, she's a classics major, and so she she knows all of the answers to all these questions. Have to ask. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I really enjoyed about that, too, was I, I think there's something brilliant in the way that they handled... Um, Renard explaining his relationship to Persephone to um, to Senator Gaines to his son because for me that was so reminiscent of like all, all the stuff that you read about and that you experience as a woman of of um, the sort of danger that is sometimes associated with rejecting men. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that totally. And Mackenzie Aston, that was a great scene for him. It was very powerful. And uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's funny to talk to when he's got those eyes in. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's, again, he's a very sweet man. He's very unassuming, very humble, uh, glad to be there and does his job well. But that was such a great performance by by him in that scene, yeah. uh, the way his, his rage built there. And he, again, appears like he has things under control. But no, not every, everybody does Everybody's got something. He's only in a couple of scenes. Did they shoot all of his scenes on the same day, or were they shot over the course of a couple of days? Uh, I can't recall what all the locations were. If it's all in one uh, location, like he was in Senator Gaines' office many times, if they were all in the office, we probably did them all on the same day. He was in the office and in the underworld. Um, oh, the underworld, how. yeah. Yeah, as, as Richard, right. Yeah, as Richard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was nice to see him back because we all felt bad that Richard, that, that you know, Mackenzie had to die at the end of season one. And it was looking at us if he was coming back either. But we were so glad to see him. It must be fun to, like, show up show up for work and, and suddenly realize, like, this is, the, this is basically the first time that you know who you're going to be working with um, yeah. from the cast. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I thought this was such a cool episode for him in part because he, he has to go back between those two characters and that's a really hard thing to do, to go between being, like, a jerk and a sociopath and being, like, basically the nicest person on the planet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's not. Okay, well, I don't know. I think Richard in the show is is pretty nice. He's still a little high and mighty, but he's he's pretty nice. But he also killed his son and was a drug addict. Okay, but that's the that's past. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's a flawed man, and they touch on that yeah. thing that he can't find his his son there because he's culpable or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. I remember when he told that story last year in season one uh, to Julia about how he locked his son in a hot car, et cetera, et cetera. And to this day, it makes me weep to think of it. I'm a father of two boys. And, yeah. and these actors' performances are so good. There's been at least a dozen days on set where I'm crying behind the camera when they're done their takes. And we got to take a minute and pull ourselves together before we move on. Cause it feels real to us when we make it. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and that is exactly what you're talking about, right? Like that is I think that's a a real horror story for anyone with kids. I don't have kids, but um, you know, I, I'm very close to a lot of people who do. And that's a very real fear. That's something that does happen. Yeah, all these characters that have their troubles and things like that, there is some fan or a number of fans or people out there that are in these circumstances and can directly relate to these things. 
Uh, one night we were shooting, it was going on till 2 o'clock in the morning. And Stella and I were both just falling over tired. Why are we doing this? Why are we still here? Why don't we go home? And I said, I don't know. It's not like we're curing cancer here, right? We're just making a TV show. Like, why do we keep doing this to our, our minds and bodies every day? And she reminded me, she showed me a Terrence Malick movie trailer that was her favorite, and that's her favorite director. And she said, we're not just making TV. Doss, it's flopping to some people. It's entertainment and whatnot. But you have a favorite movie, or you have a TV show, or there's some, some moment that's really changed you as a person. Lots of people feel these shows, and they learn lessons, and their lives change when they see powerful movies and TV shows. And mm. especially with some of the topics we've touched on uh, this year, people can really relate to that. And it's, it's classical storytelling, and this is how we do it these days. And it reignited my passion for doing our job. And I said, you're right. We're, we're making something important here. It's not just cartoons or TV or fluff or whatever. This is, this is going to be important to somebody when we turn it out. And that's why we're putting all this effort into it, especially for Stella. Her character's not happy all the time. Oh, my it's, God. It, it's Her difficult... character doesn't get to be happy at all this season. But... <laughs> it's a difficult day for Stella to come and emote this stuff all day long and not let it suck you down to be able to shake it off and disassociate yourself from that character is not an easy thing uh, for the actors to do all the time because they are very invested in their characters and they care how it turns out and they're they're committed to telling these people's stories whatever the writer gives them they want to make it as real as they can and they and they try really hard and their effort you know they might not sweat doing it but i'm, I'm sure it's that uh, it takes a toll off yeah, I can only imagine, and especially as you mentioned for Stella. I mean, her character has gone through so much, and I feel like, right, her character has gone so th- gone through so much. Um, but there's also a lot of a lot of people who really struggle and and don't don't necessarily appreciate Julia as a character yet, right? Like they see her going through all this, but they also see sort of her self destructiveness. Yeah. And I feel like that's got to be hard as an actor to, to, to pour yourself into this and try to make it as real as possible and to really succeed and then have all of the sort of baggage that people have in the real world about people who struggle, all of the sort of bias that people have against people who are dealing with um, trauma and intense mental illness to have that projected back onto you. Yeah, it's definitely worked for her. She's not the sad person. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that her life's been especially traumatic. I sometimes say to them, I really feel sorry for you that you have somewhere in your psyche this place that you pulled us from to give us this fantastic performance. You know, the the level of empathy and realism that these actors have for their characters at fairly young ages, in my opinion, uh, is extraordinary. And I'm glad to be part of such an ensemble cast that everybody nails it. Everybody's performance yeah. is wonderful to me. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving on to fashion, the big thing that I noticed in this episode was was the shades, um, and particularly Alice's shade is wearing this like gray jersey knit dress with a black flower brocade, and it really looks like something that Alice herself would wear. And one of the things that reminded me of was um, what Olivia has said about Alice's style being stuck in this childlike state and how that reflects where the character is really stuck. And it it was so interesting to me to see the shade who is sort of like a child version of her look in, in style, no different from the adult version of the character. I'm yeah. sure that's all by design. The uh, costume yeah. designer on this show has probably gotten a lot of shout out from the actors because she's a very oh, yeah. accommodating and wonderful person. She's a genius at what she does. And uh, I'm always excited to see what she brings up for each episode. She's, comes to set to make sure everything looks like she imagined and yeah i like that continuity with the shade that that really did look like her character it let you know that that's that's alice in there that's (laughs) yeah it definitely did and danny i'm curious what you thought about julia's shade because i know that you're you pay a lot of attention to to julia's style and and that particular fashion element um, I honestly didn't think about it too much, but I don't pay attention to fashion as, as closely as you do. So, <laughs> That's um, probably true. I mean, it, I guess if I think about it, it looks like something Julia might wear. Yeah, I think for me, the only difference was the, the sort of color palette, because Julia as an adult is so often wearing black and, and like darker clothes. 
Um, and Julia Shade was wearing this like ruffle shirt, which looked really similar. Do you remember the ruffle shirt in like the first season that Julia's wearing? This like ruffled white shirt that she's wearing under a black blazer. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's one of those in like episode three or four of the first season. Um, and uh, Julia Shade is wearing a, a, a shirt that looks almost identical to that, but she's wearing like a gray sweater jacket, which is not something that like adult Julia ever seems like she would wear because she's always wearing these like more gothy things. Julia is wearing gray like sweaters and cardigans a lot actually in this season. Actually, you know, you're right because she's been wearing since she's since she's been shadeless. She's been wearing a little more sort of lighter tones. But yeah, and and Lionel, you mentioned that there was an um, an outfit of Margot's that you really liked. Yeah, um, everything she wears is so cool. It's it's nothing you're ever going to see out on the street. That's for sure. But uh, Summer could totally get away with wearing that stuff in public. I think. Oh yeah, <laughs> she, she has that. She has that air. And she's such a beautiful girl. Um, you know, one to dress up like a doll, I guess, like Magalie does. And to have, you know, the royal seamstress at your beck and call, like King Idris' iridescent silver shirt with all the slits. I mean, that's wild. And the, the people from L'Oreal with their fur jackets and stuff. That oh, yeah. Like, a, like some sort of 70s funk band coming in or something. <laughs> it's just wild what they get. And um, Elliot's outfits as well, too. I mean, Hale, oh yeah. Hale wears stuff like you wish you could. He's, he's imposing. He's pretty tall. He's really well built. Uh, you know, he's a handsome dude. <laughs> and, and, and he wears those like he owns them, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in this episode, he had, um, my husband again pointed out, my husband's paying attention to the fashion more than me these days, uh, that he has this... Um, like red, very shiny, very iridescent jacket in this one scene. And when I looked back at that scene, he's wearing like six or seven different colors, but they all fit together really nicely. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how they do it, but uh, that, that was fun to do, that that scene with him and Idri with pulling the scarf off and all that thing. And, uh, <laughs> now, the costuming is important. The, the actors use it as part of their thing. You know, it's not just a, a second thought or whatever. It really helps them pull into their character. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot, so we, as we've been talking about fashion and talking about fashion with a lot of the actors, so many of their fashion choices are, when you think about it, that you can really see the connection between the character and um, what they're wearing. Um, so, I mean, with Elliot, I think it's, with Elliot and Margot, I feel like it's the most obvious. Um, yeah. But we talked to Brittany because I had sort of started to notice that um, there were certain episodes where um, where Fenn and Elliot's outfits were really coordinated and then certain episodes where Margot and Elliot's um, outfits were really coordinated. Um, and and Brittany told us that, yeah, that was totally intentional. Like, um, Magali is sort of tracking the, the sort of which relationship is more prominent in Elliot's life through the outfits, which I thought was really cool. But one of the things I've been thinking about since then is the fact that Quentin's outfits are, are so, right. We don't really notice them most of the time. Most of the time Quentin's outfits are just there. And it really makes me think about who that character is, especially in the books. He's supposed to be kind of ordinary. He's supposed to be this character who. You know, there's nothing especially heroic or especially cool or exciting about him. He's interesting because he's flawed and he becomes a hero because in part of all the people around him. And I was wondering if that's a choice in his in his fashion as well, that maybe he is more he's dressed in this more understated way. I, I wonder too, you know, they always say the people of great genius don't have any time to pay attention to what they're wearing. And I think that's true hmm. for character too, because it does. It's very bland. It's not eye-catching. It's sort of forgettable. It's almost like he's not there, uh, you know, physically in the clothes. It's not something that jumps out at you. The only thing I focus on is his face, and maybe that helps without having yeah. the distraction because Quentin really is a person in his head. He's not a lot about action so far. He's a lot about thought, contemplation, and he waffles a lot and wonders things, but yeah, it's all happening in his head for Quentin. Also, why would Quentin care about fashion? He has <laughs> to do. Yeah, he's in quite a slump now anyways with his, his girlfriend. Yeah. Into, uh, a nipping and, you know, what's he got to be happy about? 
<laughs> I love, Poor I gotta say my favorite scene, Margo uh, telling him that if he doesn't quit laying around like a worthless drunk, and if she doesn't get a minute to go take a hot bath. Oh, that, yeah. Emo Quinton's not her favorite Quinton. <laughs> that, was, that was a great bit of dialogue. I liked his response, too, where he's like, I didn't know you liked any Quentin. <laughs> 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 that was a beautiful moment. I always love the, the Quentin and, and Margot moments because they are so, they're so diametrically opposed in a lot of ways, but they really play off each other well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fairy costumes are uh, exceptional as we're talking about fashion, too. It's nothing you'd wear out on the street. Oh, they're yeah. almost naked uh, and wearing some kind of lacy fabric I've never seen before. I don't know where they came up with it even. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's very cool. It sort of makes me think, I mean, it's not like a spider's web, but it sort of makes me think of some kind of like organic bug type. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like cells growing together or something. It looks to be like a living thing. To me. Yeah, or like um, maybe like a cocoon a little bit. Yes, very much, yeah. Yeah, I really like that sort of gauzy, um, that gauzy fabric that they're using. And I think it's sort of, that and the eyes really are what remind you that the fairies aren't human. Because, like, physically they are otherwise very human looking. Yeah, the eyes do it. I have the, <laughs> let's call it good fortune, sometimes you get tapped to do things that aren't your job. And when mm-hmm. you're shooting the fairies, uh, arriving at the throne room or looking around the throne room, there was three of them that came. I was the eyeline for the fairies that they had to look at next to the camera because the actors had all gone home. We were trying to get them back early in the morning, so we sent them home. And I was the one that they were eyeballing up and down like I was some sort of a bug or (laughs) something to take apart and play with. And with those eyes in the contact lenses and stuff, it was very unnerving for me. I had my heart racing like I was in front of the camera because these eyes from Salem's Lot are like a shark side and just black and they're looking you up and down like like well you don't know you know <laughs> the first time they've seen you and you've seen them and they felt dangerous but those those yeah. girls play the fairies are so sweet one of them's a, an elementary school teacher oh cool I said well wouldn't get the your kids in line if you showed up with those eyes in and laid down the law right Oh my God, she should. She should do that and like report back how it worked. <laughs> or even just like show those scenes to her students. Just be like, just so you know, I'm nice to you. Here's here's an example of what I could be. <laughs> yeah, that'd be brilliant. Well, perhaps we'll get the opportunity next season because the fairies are coming back in a big way if I'm going to guess. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, did you have nightmares after that night when they were like staring you down? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, the director Chris Fisher was saying, I want them to look like them from that movie, that movie, that one that scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. I said, Salem's Lot, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> okay, well, I think we should move on to our MVP. Um, so I'll go first if you don't mind. My MVP for yeah. this episode, it was a tough call. It always, it always is a bit of a tough call when we're in the... Um, when we're in the ensemble episodes. For me, I think it's a tie between Jason, who I think just did such a fantastic job, especially in those scenes in the underworld with um, with Alice's Shade. And actually, the, the little girl who plays Alice's Shade, I thought she was really phenomenal, really fantastic. Um, Ava Talek is her name. So those are, those are my dual MVPs for this episode. Danny, how about you? Uh, I think I'll have to go with uh, Stella. With yeah. Her underworld performance. I don't know. I like. Really I like. I, I mean, I probably give it to both of them, but Stella and Quentin. I have a lot of feelings about their friendship. <laughs> I feel like they collectively like. There's there's Julia and there's Quentin, and then there's a third character that's Julia and Quentin. Mm-hmm. Lytle, how about you? And again, cast or crew, anybody. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with cast this time around and say it was uh, Summer. Oh, yeah? Margo's character. Yeah, again, for the last couple episodes in a row, she's really been wowing me with her performance. It's like I say, I don't get to look right at their face and study them while we're shooting the thing. I've got other things I need to focus on. And I hear the words sometimes, but I don't see what they're putting out. And when I get to watch those close-ups and see uh, her performance, I'm really pleased with Summer for this episode at Margo. That's going places. 
How good. I always like it when we disagree because it just shows how how strong all of the performances are. <laughs> yeah, there's something to like for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's such a great show and you get to right like everyone comes at it from a different direction and still find something to connect with. Um okay, so episode ratings. Danny, I'm gonna make you go first this time. I'll do ten out of ten. Ah. I like getting out of the big guns. <laughs> Um, for me, it was a little bit lower. I had, I really, really loved the Underworld storyline. I had a little more trouble just sort of connecting with some of the other storylines, but I'll probably give it like an 8 out of 10. Well, and I'm lightly biased, so I'll give it a 9 only because I know that needs some room to grow to accommodate the next two episodes. Uh, <laughs> two 10s coming up for you folks. I'm really excited for you to see them. I, I wish I could let more cats out of the bag, but I'm, I'm just twitching with anticipation. Oh, well, I think we are too. And that seems like a really fantastic note to end on. Unless, is there anything else you want to shout out? Anyone you want to like, what is it you're working on right now? You said you're working on a different show. Uh, We're just starting uh, Lemony Snicket's uh, series of unfortunate events. Oh, cool. I I watched that. A bunch of us watched that who are in the fandom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm halfway through. I have to binge watch the rest of them before we go to camera next Thursday. But it is like, Every episode is like doing a feature film. It's going to look fantastic as well, too. It's a real treat to work with uh, Neil Patrick Harris. And some of the extra guest stars on this new ensemble cast are really funny people I've seen on TV lately. Um, I loved the cast from this this last portion of it, the first part. Yeah, so and Neil Patrick like... Harris showed up for camera tests uh, Friday in his Count Olaf costume. <laughs> and he was Count Olaf from the time he entered the stage until he left. On and off oh, camera, he, he breathes this character, and it's just so believable and so funny. Uh, it's a treat to work on. It's going to be a lot of fun to see where this place takes us. <laughs> well, awesome. We'll definitely make sure we all check it out. I, I think like most of us are probably following that show anyway, but if you're not, check it out. Um, so I think that, that that makes it a wrap for this episode of Physical Kids Weekly. Lionel, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really fun getting to chat with you over the, over the last few weeks of the season, and I'm really glad that you came on and joined us um, and, and that Arjun convinced you to join us. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. It, it has been a pleasure. I'm proud to do my part for the show. And I'm just so pleased that people like it as well, too. Oh, well, absolutely. And and we are we are really loving it. And and really, I mean, I think big props to everyone who works on camera um, for this season, especially. It's been such a beautiful show to watch. So thank you so much for, for your contributions to that. Um, to everyone who is listening to us, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to uh, don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye now. Mind slide. Yes. Our our